Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 21. We'll be in verses 1 through 7 this morning. So we continue our, our study in the life of Abraham. As we, as we come to this passage, there's, there's almost a, like a sense of release the, that, that goes on here. It's almost like, finally. Uh, and maybe kind of as you think about your life, like have you ever kind of been waiting for something to happen which will make all the rest of the struggle make sense? Um, well, that's, that's kind of where we are in, in the life of Abraham here. Maybe it is a, a literal pregnancy that you are waiting to, to, to have that, that kid. And that when the birth of that baby comes, that will make all the going through the pregnancy thing uh, make sense and be worth it. And, or maybe it's a, a graduation that, that finally all those years of struggle and hard work have paid off. And now this is going to lead to a career that, that you've been looking forward to or, or seeing, uh, seeing a child move out onto, on her own out into the world and become a productive or at least, you know, non, non sociopathic member of society. Uh, get this successful launch out into the world. Um, and all of those years of struggle and waiting and just sort of hoping for things not seen just kind of finally come to fruition. And there's that moment where you just kind of sit back and enjoy the, the fruit of that waiting, the fruit of that struggle, the, the promise fulfilled, Right. I think that's a sense of what's going on in this passage, that that's the joy that Abraham and Sarah are experiencing as they, as they encounter this, this latest turn of events in their lives. So Genesis 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Del Ralph Davis, one of my favorite commentators, has a story of uh, the day that, that Chris Hoyle was sitting at her desk on the fifth floor of her office building, and she saw a man fall past her window, uh, and he describes it as being head down, feet up. And so Chris runs out of her desk, runs down the four flights of stairs to the ground floor to see who needs help and what can be done. And all she sees is this man standing uh, under, uh, at the, on the ground looking back up at the roof. And she said, she explained, I just saw a man fall past my window. Is everybody okay? And, and his reply was, yeah, that, that would be me. Um, and he was unscathed, except for some scrapes and, and bruises, uh, no broken bones. And the only explanation for his, his escape was that he landed on his feet. 
Um, uh, he had been he'd been doing some telecommunication work on the roof and had taken one step too many off the edge and and down he came. Um, this should not have happened, right? We don't wish any ill on this man, of course, but like that should not happen. That is not the most likely outcome for that scenario. That is not any in any way a likely outcome for that scenario. Um, and I just wonder, like, how how great was the rest of his day? Um, or, or weak or whatever. And maybe it wasn't great at all. Maybe after the adrenaline wore off and sort of the reality of what had happened to him set in, maybe it was a crummy day after that. Um, but how delighted was he with that outcome? And then how delighted are we with the things that God is doing in our lives? Like, how delighted are we with the outcomes that God gives, gives to us? And, and I think first and foremost of that most impossible and unlikely outcome of grace, right? Like, how delighted are we with grace when we consider that that grace ought not to be ours, but because of the goodness of God, it is, right? Do you delight in God? That's one of our three D's that we talk about a lot around here. Do you delight in God? Our, our, do, you, do you glorify and enjoy him? Our confession of faith says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And like, I get the, to glorify God. That seems like something that I understand exactly how to do. But do I enjoy God? And how is enjoying God united to glorifying God? That's kind of the question that I've always had about that answer, especially when we consider how to glorify and enjoy him in terms of this great outcome that he has given us in Christ Jesus of forgiveness and grace and mercy. We were made to enjoy God forever. We were in we were, we were invented <laughs> to enjoy God forever. And he delights to delight us with himself. And I think that's what's going on in this passage. This is, this is God delighting to delight his people with himself. Delighting to delight uh, Sarah and Abraham with this great promise that he has given to us, so, given to them. So let's look at this in three ways. He delights us with his sure promises. Number two, he delights us with the fruit of those promises. And number three, he delights us with himself. So he delights us with his sure promises. He delights us with the fruit of those promises. And then he delights us with himself. First, he delights us with his sure promises. Verses one and two, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So throughout this, this whole sermon series and studying of the life of Abraham, we have, we have seen this sort of repeated promise over and over again to Abraham and Sarah and, and this, this numerous repeated promises that I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to give you a child that is going to be your heir. And, and despite all of those promises that have been made and repeated and made and repeated, like there is still an element of surprise to this episode, right? There is still an element of surprise that... Oh, 
this, this actually happened. This happened. This is here. This is true. And if you remember, you know, the skeptical laughter that Sarah had back in chapter 17, uh, where God sort of calls her out on that skeptical laughter, now has been turned to this delighted laughter with the reality of, of this promise having come true. And Moses, the way he writes this, is really wanting us to focus in on the promises of God. He's really wanting us to see that this is what God has said that he would do. He says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And later on, it says that he gave Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So God in his word is front and center in this passage. His promises are front and center in this passages, in this passage that God has been true. He has been true to his word. He has kept his promises, that his promises are sure. And we have been kind of along for the ride with Sarah and Abraham as these promises have been repeated and, and they have taken this, these steps and they have, that, that we really have felt with them the expectation, right? We felt with them the longing for these promises to come true. We felt their impatience. We felt their bewilderment at times. And this, this pregnancy that Sarah experienced and this birth of Isaac echoes later on in the New Testament, right? I mean, this should have rung some bells for you. Does, does the way these two verses describe Sarah's pregnancy uh, ring any bell? Like, does that remind you of another pregnancy, right? Jesus. I mean, this, it, they, were, they were different in the ways that they came about, but this is definitely something that we are supposed to say, oh, that, that sounds a whole lot like Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac, because it has this same miraculous quality, right? This pregnancy was no less impossible than Mary's pregnancy, right? She who should never be pregnant suddenly finds herself with child, and the birth of this child, the birth of Isaac, is really more than the birth of just a single baby. This, the birth of this child really is the birth of a whole new people, the people of God, a new nation. If this is how God begins his people, who will ever be able to overcome them? That we are his impossible people. We are his miraculous people. We are the people of his sure promise. And there's a sense of security that should come to us from that, right? We should, we should take that in and feel from that this sense of security. Do you enjoy God and the security that he promises you? Do you enjoy that security? Do you enjoy that confidence that you have in him? There's, there's a lot of talk right now and in our society and culture because of what we're going through about, about fear and living in fear. And our questions are, by our response to the pandemic, are we living in fear? Are we responding in fear? Are we responding wisely? Are we, like, that is just sort of swirling around us all the time and how we should or shouldn't react to our circumstances and to, if it's not the virus, then it's the economy or maybe it's something totally unrelated. But, but remember Ephesians 3 verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory, right? Right? 
that this, this confidence that we have, this surety that we have in his promise, like the, the understanding that, that we are his people born of this, this miracle gives us this hope of glorifying him and, and walking along uh, in, a, in a way that handles fear righteously. It's not that we don't have fear or don't have anxiety or don't have worries about different things, but we understand that at the baseline of who we are and our ad- identity founded and rooted in Christ Jesus is this surety that comes from the surety of his promises. The surety that comes from the confidence that we are his. That his promises are a delight because they are sure. And that he has fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah so that he could bring you and I into his family. That if he has gone through that trouble for us, will he ever let us go? That that we who are called by his love out of our rebellion and into his family are his forever. That whatever else we're facing in our circumstances and in our life, that that promise, the truth of it, the surety of it, the confidence that we have in it is what we stand on. He delights for us to do that. He delights for us to trust him in that way. He delights us with the fruit of his promises. Verses three through five, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So now they have this child. Finally, he's here, right? This son long promised, the son long looked for, long awaited. And how does Abraham respond? He responds with obedience. He responds with obedience in, in not just circumcising Isaac, but naming him Isaac. Um, that's the name that God gave him to, to name him. But let's kind of walk through the story so far. Rem- remind ourselves of what has gone on in Abraham's life. First of all, God calls Abraham out of his paganism. And then God promises to bless Abraham and to make Abraham a blessing to all the nations. And then God makes this this unique relationship with Abraham called a covenant, which is guaranteed by God's word. And then God keeps all of those promises to Abraham. And now they are here holding the, the fruit of those promises in his hands. And then, then after all of that, Abraham obeys. Isaac is the first child recorded in the Bible to be to receive the sign of the covenant when he was an infant. Isaac is the first one to to have this act of obedience uh, placed upon him. And even the name, like I said, Isaac means he laughs. Uh, in, In chapter 17, God says, you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. That, that Isaac is the one promised to Abraham. Imagine the delight of, of holding that, that little baby in your arms. Imagine the, the warmth of his body kind of coming through his cloths. I did that the first time. I saw them cloths, but like clothes. I don't know why with Bible babies wear cloths instead of clothes. I don't know why. But like imagine, you know, hearing his sounds, 
seeing his, feeling his little body move. Imagine just the, the, the delight that Sarah and Abraham have in this little person that they are now holding. This child who never should have been born was a delight in and of himself. But what's more delightful is that Isaac isn't the end of God's work through Abraham and his family. That Isaac is just the beginning of God's work through Abraham and his family. And that work extends from Isaac all the way through all of his covenant people right down to the church today that, that the special relationship between Abraham and his family and, and God is continuing through Isaac and beyond. And Christians... You are the fruit of that promise. You are the fruit of God's promise to Abraham because Christ is the ultimate fruit of his promise through Abraham's family. And we are the fruit of Christ's ultimate fulfillment of all of those promises. And we are united to Christ who is the one in whom all of those promises have their what? Their yes. Second Corinthians tells us, That all of the promises of God, including the promises of God to Abraham, have their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You were meant to enjoy that truth together. That you are a part of God's fulfilled promises to me and to one another. In Christ Jesus, you are the fruit of God's promises to me. You are the fruit of God's promises to one another as we enjoy and, and, and recount and encourage and equip one another through the promises and pointing out the ways God keeps his promises and worshiping God and delighting in him as he works in one another's lives that, that the body of Christ is a shout of yes by God to his people. That that's why division in the body of Christ is so terrible. That division in the body of Christ is violence to the enjoyment of God's fulfilled promises to one another. Not that we'll always agree on everything. We won't. We know we won't. But that we will be committed to working to love one another through those disagreements. And one of the ways that we delight one another in the promises of God, delight one another in the character and nature of God, one of the ways in which we celebrate this together as the body of Christ, one of the ways in which we say yes and amen to the work of God in one another's lives is worship. That worshiping together is the weekly party we throw in celebration of God's richly fulfilled promises. He delights to delight us with the fruit of his promises. He also delights us with himself. Verses six through seven. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. I remember the first time, uh, and this is somewhat of a confession of, I don't don't know, sin, but the confession of like 
my personality. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, but I remember the first time I saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now I am not saying go out and watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail as your next family movie night. That's not what I'm saying, but I remember this moment and maybe this moment shouldn't loom as large in my childhood development as it does. But I remember sitting down and watching this movie because I remember not knowing that I could laugh that hard. Just not knowing that this kind of face hurting, pressure at the top of my head, sort of, I really want to stop laughing because this kind of hurts, sort of laughter, but I couldn't because my dad was watching it with me and we were both just kind of feeding each other's laughter, right? It just took a long time to stop. Laughter is all over this promise. Laughter is all over this passage. Sarah is laughing, right? Now in delight. She was kind of laughing in like sarcasm, but now she is laughing in delight. Everyone else who hears this story, she says, is going to laugh with me. In this way, like when she says that they will laugh over me, that's just kind of a Hebrew way of saying they're going to laugh with me. They're not laughing at her. They're, they're hearing this story and they're sharing in the delight that she is experiencing, right? Because here's the evidence of it. It, it. Who would have thought? And Isaac's name means he laughs. And so laughter is just painted all over this story. And the reason is, I think, is because this is God's work. This is God's work going on, that, that nothing about this could have happened without his plans or promises. Nothing, nothing about this could have happened. In fact, God could have had the very same relation, covenant relationship with Sarah and Abraham and given them a son and heir in a much more predictable and normal way, right? He, he could have done that, done that, but instead he delights to do it this way. Why? Why does he delight to do it this way? Why does he delight instead to use, to, to use this? I, I think he does that because he uses this promise and the way he goes about fulfilling this promise as a means to draw Abraham and Sarah into a deeper relationship with himself. That, that through their longing, through their impatience, and yes, through their cynical laughter, God draws them into a deeper relationship with himself. He, he shows them more and more of his character and his nature and his power that he uses these circumstances and the means by which he goes through to bring them at times to a place of mourning. Like wanting children and not being able to have children hurts. There is deep pain there. But he takes them out of that place of mourning to another place. And through that suffering, through that waiting, through that impatience and longing and expectation, he shows them his character and nature. And he draws them into a deeper relationship with himself. He delights to do this for his people. And he does this for his people. And he's never stopped doing this for his people. Psalm 30, verse 11 and 12 says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let me ask you this. 
Like, what, what thoughts, what fears, what insecurities, what circumstances, what whatever are you mourning over today? Where are those places in your life of mourning and grief and suffering and waiting? Do they have you dressed for a funeral? The waiting can feel like a funeral. The struggle of just another day can feel like a funeral, right? I've got a new favorite TV show. Um, I, don't watch a, I don't watch a ton of TV, but this is one that I've, I've just kind of been watching and I've, I've actually been kind of binge watching it, watching a couple of episodes at a time. But it's called Alone and it's, it's about these survival experts. Then I've seen two seasons of it, and they both took place in British Columbia on Vancouver Island, which is just this remote, thickly, like it's temperate rainforest. There's predators everywhere, and they drop 10 people off, and they're all cut off from one another. They can't get to one another. They don't know where one another are, and they can't communicate. They have a little GPS tracker, and if they press the button, the rescue boat comes and rescues them, and they're out of the contest. And the last person still surviving, nobody dies. It sounds like they die, but like the last person still surviving out in the wild wins $500,000, but nobody knows when the other contestants tap out and call the rescue boat. And so they're there and they're alone and they're struggling and they're getting all of their, their basics down, shelter, warmth, water, food. They're getting all of those basics down. And then after they get kind of all of those basics down, it's the ones that experience the fewest struggles. I've noticed, this is just my observation, the ones that experience the fewest like day-to-day struggles that end up quitting early. And it's the ones that kind of constantly struggle to find food or there's some other challenge that, that kind of gets in their way. It's those ones that, that experience that sort of daily struggle that end up going the distance, provided nothing, other, nothing else bad happens to them, right? And I think, it's, I think it's because their mind is so focused on getting over this next hurdle, finding this next meal, taking care of this next challenge, uh, that, that, that they, they end up growing through their struggles. They end up learning through their struggles. And in the end, it's, it ends up just kind of being the day-to-day, not just grind of living alone in the wilderness with no creature comforts, but boredom that causes people to tap out. Like, and the way they, they show the winner that he's won is that he's sitting there doing his kind of daily thing with his camera. There's no camera crews. It's just this one person and a bunch of cameras and he's operating all of them. So he is doing his daily camera update, whatever. And you see somebody walking in the woods kind of behind him and they step on a twig and the person that's, that's been alone turns and looks, and there standing before them is this other person that they've longed to see, right? Their wife, their daughter, whoever it is. And the look on, on their face just sort of tells the whole story. Just the delight of seeing this one person that they've longed to see. And, and it's, it's that going through the struggle and going through the funeral that makes that moment so sweet. It's the funeral that makes the dance so sweet. 
God is using your suffering to draw you into a deeper delight in himself. That you are seeing more of him through the waiting. That it's about knowing more of his character through his provision. It's about knowing more of his grace from his forgiveness. Knowing more of his power from his ability to heal. And you end up saying, like Sarah said, who would have thought... Who would have thought, who could have known, who could have guessed that God would do this? Who would have thought that God could heal my marriage? Who would have known that God would have provided for my needs in this way? That I never thought I could ever feel happy again. But God gave me peace. Who would have thought I could feel accepted? But God took away my shame. That when Isaac was born for Sarah and Abraham, everything was new. Everything was different. That God was using Isaac to change Sarah and Abraham's life, to change the life of the whole world, to set us on a, on a course of redemption and renewal. That God was using his people that was going to come from the, the seed of Abraham and Sarah to bless the whole world. And Isaac was the beginning of that. And at the, at the pinnacle of that is Christ Jesus, the ultimate seed, the ultimate heir of Abraham. And through Christ Jesus, all things are being made new. Everything is finding its renewal, that all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your mercy and grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the yes and amen that that you have said to us, your people, as we uh, ran to the cross with our sin and found their grace and mercy and peace. And so, Lord, as we approach this table this morning, remind us that this is a means by which you communicate grace to our hearts. That, that this table, this, this table set with the broken body and shed blood of Jesus is renewing in us the, the re- reality of, of our need for a Savior, but also the beauty of the Savior that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, remind us of that, even as we taste and experience and come before you this morning through the Lord's Supper. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.